The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This is from, our scripture reading today is from Psalm 19. Sorry, baptizing your baby is emotional. (laughs) I know. Um, Okay. The heavens declare the glory of God. And this, oh gosh, guys, I should not have volunteered today. Okay. <laughs> and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their, gosh, their voice, yeah, maybe it's too much. <laughs> Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them it is your servant, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This This is is the the word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jonathan and Maggie Payne. Listen, if you're with us for the first time this morning, it's not always this much of an emotional (laughs) fire, but it should be. Um, All right. Well, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series, this pathway series on Worship Connect Serve. These three words that we are using to kind of uh, define and illustrate our vision for a flourishing disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? We've kind of distilled it down to these three areas of worship, connect, and serve. That a disciple is somebody who worships the Lord corporately and personally, somebody who serves or who connects with other people and is inviting people in, uh, somebody who serves their church and serves their city and, and their world. Um, And in each sermon in this series, we're we're asking across all three congregations a single ask uh, that we would all aspire to together. Um, We're we're, we're talking about habit forming when we talk about these things, and we want to be very clear about why. This isn't just to kind of lay a bunch of rules out there and say, let's all just follow these six rules, but to really ask the question, are these things we're asking of one another just empty rules, or, or are, they, are they what God has designed for his people as a church 
to aspire to and to live by. And I believe they are. Uh, It would be hard for me to stand here as the pastor of this church preaching these sermons if my conscience wasn't clear that the things that we're asking are not things that are unique to Christ Presbyterian Church only. Um, I believe these are things that, that summarize what all Christians everywhere are called to be a part of. And so last week, the first one, we have a slide here for the first one, was this, be fully present with the church every Sunday. Um, Do not forsake meeting together and all the more as you see the day approaching. We talked about that in depth. If you want to go back and listen to that sermon, uh, it's online and you can do that. This morning, uh, the second one is be fully present with Jesus every day. So be fully present with the church every Sunday was last week. Be fully present with Jesus every day. Uh, And this is under the worship category. Coming up next, I'm just going to read these really quick so that we can hear them all again. And connect, under connect, there will be these two. Take every opportunity to gather with your group, which presumes you have people. Uh, you have people, your, your people in the church. Second, befriend and bring people in who don't have a church. And then under serve, strengthen the church by serving and giving. And second, enhance flourishing by serving your work and your world and your people in need. And so today we're focusing on this one, be fully present with Jesus every day. And the idea here is that we would be growing disciples who are spending time in scripture and in prayer. Um, If you uh, are interested in resources to help with this, I want to name two of them right now, Um, because I couldn't figure out where in the sermon in context to name these, so I'm going to do it right now. Um, But if you are looking for resources to help you be in the word every day, uh, two uh, that I would highly recommend. One uh, is She Reads Truth, uh, would, and He Reads Truth, and Kids Read Truth. Um, this is an organization that I worked for uh, for a number of years, and uh, Christ Prez is a church that is very connected uh, to uh, the folks who, who uh, lead and had the vision for He Reads Truth and She Reads Truth. And uh, what that is, is uh, it's biblical literacy Monday to Saturday. It's, it's Bible reading plans for you uh, and, and an online community of people to read together. Uh, and, and it's pretty beautiful. I was content director for them for a couple of years, and so had my hands in forming those reading plans. And uh, it's a great resource. You can sign up to use it for free. Uh, there are also resources that you can purchase, like the app. Is, you can purchase the app's free, but you can get in-app purchases to do the reading plan for particular books of the Bible. Um, They also have beautiful print books uh, that you can also get. But if you want to just do it for free, you can sign up and you'll get an email every day of the scripture reading. It's very simple to do that, or you can go to the website. So She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth is one. And then the other is the Dwell Bible app. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this, um, but the Dwell Bible app is a Bible app that's an audio Bible. Uh, and it's, it's really kind of dialed in right now, and you can go and you can get that. You can choose if you want the person reading scripture to you to be male or female. You can even choose an accent, um, and so, uh, but there's all kinds of reading plans there. Uh, that's, co- that's called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L, the Dwell Bible app, um, and you can get that on your phone, and that's also a great way if you're a person who commutes, um, and uh, you, or you do a lot of listening to podcasts and things like that, and you want to incorporate scripture into that, that is a great way to do it. You can even tailor specifically what it is that you're reading. They have plans, but you can also kind of build your own. Um, so he reads truth, she reads truth, and dwell. Okay, wanted to mention those. All right, today, be fully present with Jesus every day. That's, that's what we're talking about. If the goal of the Christian 
is to live as a maturing follower of Jesus Christ, then what that means is we have to be people who spend time with him, right? It's just pretty simple. If you want to be a maturing follower of Jesus Christ, it does not follow that you would then spend no time in his word and no time in prayer. Because it defies the law of any relationship you could ever possibly be in. If you want to have a flourishing marriage, you need to live in the same home and talk to your spouse, right? You can't live in another place and never talk and have a flourishing marriage. But the means that the Lord gives us to engage with him, scripture and prayer, I I like to refer to these as kind of the jeans and t-shirt of the Christian faith. They're kind of basic. They never go out of style. They're what you always kind of come back to is what does it look like for a flourishing follower of Jesus Christ to be growing? It it involves these things. It involves time in the word and time in prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to give a little bit of a vision for that, a way to think about that. Um, There's an art to the Christian life. If you've heard the term, I'm a practicing Christian, you've heard that term, right? Or I practice this religion or I practice this. That that word practice is a curious word uh, when you think about it. What does it mean? Because we can say it and we can, we can just assume that what it means is, well, when I say I'm a practicing Christian, all I'm really saying is I'm a Christian. No. If you're a practicing Christian, you practice the faith. Like a practicing musician, like a practicing painter, like a practicing athlete. To practice something is to work on something. It's to return to the fundamentals. It's to drill. And we get better as we do that. And the Christian faith is something, I know it may not be a way you've ever thought of it before, but it's something that you practice. You practice day in and you day out and day out. And I think about Rembrandt as a good example. I'm going to show you some Rembrandt paintings uh, today as a way of talking about this, but it strikes me that there had to have been a time, there had to have been a time where Rembrandt made some awful art, right? There had to have been a time when he drew a stick figure that only a mother could love, right? The stuff that only mom would put on the fridge, And yet we know him, right, as the Dutch Renaissance master. Uh, In fact, Rembrandt, while he was still alive, his peers called him the master. Uh, He stood in a category all by himself. And I want to show you a painting that that he made. And so we'll go ahead and put this up. This painting is called Jesus Presented in the Temple. Art, and I believe that the Christian faith is there's art to it. Um, I'm an artist at heart. I have an artistic disposition, and I believe that the Christian life is an artistic life, and art takes time. Any artist will tell you this, but they'll also tell you that mastery, the mastery of something, begets joy. Mastery leads to joy. So the better you become at something, the more you enjoy the thing, right? So if you're a guitar player, piano player, golfer, cook, you know that the, the more you learn and the, and the more refined you are in your skill, the more pleasure and the more enjoyment you get out of that thing, of being able to do it. So this painting is called Jesus Presented in a Temple. It's by, remember, I wish I could show you a better resolution. We'd have to kill all of the lights in order to do that, and I don't really want to do that. Um, but this one was painted in 1631, Rembrandt, anybody want to guess how old Rembrandt was when he painted this painting? He was 25. So don't feel bad about yourself for too long, but he was 25 (laughs) when he did that. And what this painting shows is it shows Jesus 
It's the baby there. And Simeon is holding him and Mary is kneeling nearby. And there are other people standing around, clerics, and Joseph is there kind of in the shadow. And then if you look kind of back here, there's these stairs that go up in the temple and there are people all over them. And there's probably, if you looked at a high-resolution picture, if you went to The Hague and saw this in person, you would count over close to 50 different individual people who are in this painting in the background. And you have these columns in the architecture that just rises and you've got this stone slab floor there and just this, this intentionality and the beauty. And actually, if you look right above uh, Simeon and Mary there, right directly above the baby Jesus, there's that figure there with the beret and the beard. That's Rembrandt. That's himself. That's a, that's a secret self-portrait. He painted himself into this. If you notice, the baby Jesus is actually a source of light in the painting, that's mastery right there. If you look at this painting and your first thought is not, that's a picture of a glowing baby, and yet it is a picture of a glowing baby, that's an artist who knows what he's doing. He is taking you through. In fact, this painting is, is a painting that if you study art, one of the things that a good painter will do is they will tell you a narrative in a nanosecond. You'll walk up to the painting and you look at it and your eyes will follow a certain sequence of points in the painting that will unfold the information for you and you will walk away with a story. And this painting does that. You look and you're drawn. Actually, one of the first things you see is Mary. She's the figure that's most facing and most prominent and most lit. And then it takes where her eyes are going is over to Simeon and the baby Jesus. And he's looking up at heaven and there's the priest. And then it disperses from there. But he took you visually through that painting when you looked at it in that sequence. That's incredible that an artist can do this. 25 years old. Young Rembrandt here, what he's doing is he's showing us what he's capable of in this painting. He's holding nothing back. He's done this thing with the dark and the shadow that would become a landmark or a hallmark of his style. And he's showing off. He's showing, us, showing what he can do. 25-year-old Rembrandt is flexing and he's kissing his bicep as he looks you in the eye. That's what he's doing with this painting. And it's an impressive piece of work. Not just for a 25-year-old, but it's an impressive piece of work for anybody. You know Rembrandt did not go from stick figures to this without practice, right? He had to practice. He had to learn what makes for good composition. He had to study things like light and shadow and the weight of a line and vanishing point and human form. He had to have mastery of these things. He had to drill on fundamentals until they were so second nature that he could do other things with the fundamentals kind of hidden in the background but locked in place. And I think that's a good analogy for the Christian life that a, a child can embrace the most basic board book uh, basics of, of, of the gospel and can offer stick figure prayers to God and God hears them and delights in them. But living the Christian life is something that for the believer is an art that we spend our lives learning how to do and how to walk, and how to live, and how to understand, and how to apply, and how to revel in, and how to marvel at. Following Jesus through daily scripture reading and prayer, these are art forms. They're not just things that we do, but they're things that we practice, right? They're things that we practice, and here's the promise. Mastery begets joy. 
If you practice them regularly, you will develop in the craft. If you're a person who says, I just can't understand the Bible, read it for a while. And I promise you, you will begin to understand it more and more. And it will have this cumulative effect, whereas you begin to understand it more and more, you'll begin to understand that with a greater depth and a greater clarity. And certain passages that, you, that were referring to other passages, but you were unfamiliar with those, you'll become familiar with them. And all of a sudden, you'll say, I never saw that before. It's beautiful. Mastery begets joy. If you practice these things regularly, you're going to develop in the craft. And the question that we should ask is, okay, but then what do we gain if we do that? Do we just gain knowledge of the Bible? Psalm 19, this passage that we read together, gives us a beautiful answer. It tells us what you gain is you gain an understanding of the law of God, which is the same as saying you gain an understanding of the heart of God. And what he says in here in the psalm is he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Do you feel like your soul is languishing? There's that part of you that just is shrouded. Scripture revives the soul. His precepts are right. They're right. You can trust them. You can trust in what God says. In a world where people, all of us, are trying to find our way to deepest meaning, Scripture holds the answer. What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? I love how the psalmist says, the fear of the Lord is clean. I love that term. I love it. Because it brings to mind a couple of images to me. One is something that burns clean right? There's not a lot of waste to it. There's no waste to it. Eating clean. If you've ever done that, <laughs> I don't know that we all have. I, it's been rare for me, and it's always because it's been forced upon me to do so. Um, but when I eat clean, there's just a different feeling, right? There's a feeling of just vibrancy and buoyancy. The law, the fear of the Lord is clean. In other words, you're made for this. You're made to be most efficient, most effective in your life when you fear the Lord. We weren't created to glide all over through life as cynics, turning the sublime into memes. We were created to stand in awe of God and to stand before his glory and to bow our hearts to holiness. We were made for this. And when it's absent in our lives, we struggle. We're meant to love our creator and to love him with reverence. The psalmist asks a pretty deft question at the end. I love it. He says, who can discern his errors? In other words, do you think you see all that is broken in you? Do you think you have the capacity to recognize in yourself all of the places where you need to grow and you need to change and you need to be challenged? Who can see that? Who can discern his errors? 
In other words, do you think you can see all that's broken? How much of your limits, how many of your limits are known to you? We just don't know what we don't know. We're people of hidden faults, he says, and of presumptuous sins, sins that we commit because we just don't really think that there's any other thing we're supposed to do. And these things which unchecked can have dominion over us. And the psalmist then turns to communion with God, to regular intimate engagement with his word and with his prayer. And he said, and, and prayer, and he says, here's where we learn. He shows us our weakness. He breaks the dominion of sin over us. This is why the word is so sweet, like a honeycomb, like honey, right? He, he, he makes that statement in here that the Lord takes his word and he works through it. And he nourishes us by his Holy Spirit to reveal himself, to reveal his love, to reveal our need for rescue. And listen, we need this. We need this. Scripture is not just some self-help product that's on a shelf that maybe you should try and maybe it would work for you. Scripture doesn't talk about itself that way. It is the living, breathing word of God that you were meant to engage with for your own flourishing. And so the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my Redeemer. There's something I love about this psalm that is something that's beautiful about Scripture, and it's this. This psalm shows us the beautiful truth that Scripture fights for your heart. Have you ever had anybody fight for you? Have you ever been in a, in a situation where you were helpless, you were under-resourced, or you were in danger and you didn't even know it and somebody fought for you? Scripture fights for your heart. When you read Bible passages and you feel like they're just getting all up in your grill, you know, and getting kind of bossy with you, they're fighting for your heart. Every one of us has this inner life. Everybody here has an inner life. And nobody else in the room knows all that there is to know about that inner life. Not even your spouse, not even your parents, not even your kids. Everybody has an inner life. And it's where our true character resides. It's where we're most unfiltered about our joys about our sorrows, about our hopes, about our pains, about our anger. And one of the ways that we respond to struggle and suffering and difficulty when it comes into our life is we calcify our own hearts. We begin to shut down in our inner life those places where we are susceptible to fear and to pain. And when we do this, we leave little room for things like joy and prayer and thanksgiving, which are part of that inner life. Why bring all this up in a sermon about cultivating the daily habit of spending time with Jesus in Scripture and prayer? Is because spending time with Jesus in Scripture and prayer is all about cultivating the inner life. This psalm is a call for us to practice the art of walking with and knowing God on a deep heart level. And the beauty of it is what's presumed in this is God is after your heart. If you want to write something on your mirror at home, write this. God is after my heart. God is after my heart. He's interested in you. And today's psalm is about God fighting for our heart. We put up certain checkpoints in the heart, vowing never again to let life hurt us in this way. And these checkpoints are fear-based and they're man-centered and they're protective measures. And today's scripture says live in a bigger world than that. 
live in a bigger world where the fear of the Lord burns clean, where God is at the center. When we say that our hope and our prayer and our challenge to us as a congregation is to spend time with Jesus every day, it's not simply to check a box. And if that's the only reason, don't, don't bother with that. If it's just to be able to say, I did it, to spend your 15 minutes. I remember as a kid when I first, when my faith came alive to me, I was around 15 years old, and I started reading the Bible, and I just started devouring Scripture. I didn't understand most of what I was reading, but I read a lot of it. Uh, I read seven chapters a day uh, for a, for, until I was done with the thing. And I have that Bible still at home, and it's highlighted in blue almost everywhere. And it was just this moment in time for me of, of discovering Scripture and reading and highlighting and thinking everything I saw in there was profound. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I remember I had this routine where I would decided I'm going to be the most disciplined Bible reader uh, walking the streets of Tipton, Indiana. And my plan was I had started drinking coffee. I was 15. I'd started drinking coffee. And uh, there, were, there was such a thing as peanut butter Twix. And I bought peanut butter Twix and coffee and I, and I, with my own money. And I'd buy the big box at Sam's Club of the peanut butter Twix and I would ration them out. And I would eat one peanut butter Twix in the morning. Not both that are in the sleeve because I wanted it to last because I wasn't, you know, making a working wage. I wanted them to last. And I would get my one peanut butter Twix and my cup of coffee and my Bible. And I would sit there and I had this whole ritual that I would go through. And I love thinking about that ritual. I'm not even really sure why I'm telling you that other than to say... That I did that, and some days it was because there was a box on my reading plan that I needed to check, and I wanted to get it done. Sometimes it was because I got into Leviticus, and I had to push through because of the mildew laws and all the things that go with Leviticus. But I had to get through it, but it doesn't, it, it, it can be about more than just checking the box and being able to say, look, I've strung a bunch of days together when I've done it. No, because when we, when we spend time in Scripture and prayer, what we're doing is we're practicing not just the art of reading the Bible, but we're practicing the art of intimacy with God. That's what we're doing. We're practicing the art of intimacy with God by spending time with his word. We tune our minds to fix on him and our hearts to rest in him. Why would we emphasize being fully present with Jesus every day? What's the goal of that? I want us to go back to Rembrandt and I want to show you another painting of his. This one is called... Uh, Simeon and, uh, what's it called? I have the name written down here. No, I don't, uh, I don't have the name written down. It's the same scene as the other one. This is Simeon holding the baby Jesus in the temple, and that's Mary in the shadow behind, right? It's the same subject matter. It's the same passage of scripture that Rembrandt is painting. Only this one, he painted the year he died when he was 63 years old. And I want you to just think about the contrast between the two paintings. And I want to talk about that as we land this plane. This painting is the same passage of scripture. And yet in this one, it's Simeon and he's holding Jesus. But what do you notice when you look at the two compared to the one when he was 25? Let's put them both up. So, on, let's see, what do you face? Be on your left. On your left, the one that he painted when he was 25, when you look at that one, it's elaborate. 
He's showing you what you can do, what he can do. The other one is very simple. It doesn't have all the sharp, crisp lines to give the detail, but instead it's more soft and, and warm, and the brush stroke is a little bit more subdued, right? The one that he painted when he was 25 has over two dozen people in the painting, and they're all different, and they all have different facial expressions, and they're all doing different things. None of them are the same. And the other one, only three, Simeon and Jesus and Mary. One of them shows everything that the younger artist can do. And we are impressed. The other has this focused restraint to it. Why are they so different? This is the meat of what I want you to hear. They're so different because the artist has grown. 25-year-old Rembrandt, he didn't know the suffering that would come his way. He didn't know the struggles that he would face. When he imagined the scene of Jesus being presented in the temple, it was an opportunity for him to show what he could do. He saw the ornate beauty of the building, the faces, the bodies, those looking on, the trick with the light, his ability to dazzle you. But to my eye, there's no intimacy in that painting. It's impressive but it's busy, it's fancy, it's amazing. But the older artist, he's suffered. He's gone through bankruptcy. He's buried a wife. He's buried children. He's risen to fame, and he's seen it all come crashing down. And he doesn't seem to really want to show us the elaborate scene anymore as much as he seems to just want to hold Jesus. The goal of today's text and today's sermon is not to move us from stick people prayers to elaborate masterpieces of eloquence. The goal of practicing the spiritual disciplines of prayer and scripture is to move us beyond not only the stick figures, but to move us also beyond the showing off to a place of intimacy and familiarity with our Lord. It's to move us not from the crude to the eloquent, but from the unfamiliar to the intimate. This is why we practice spiritual disciplines, to move not from the crude to the eloquent, but from the unfamiliar to the intimate. Do you wonder what God's will is for your life? Seek first his kingdom, these fundamentals, and the rest will be added to, uh, unto you. May we practice the art of living in a relationship with Jesus. And may he move us then from unfamiliarity and from boasting in ourselves to intimacy with him. This is how God fights for our hearts. He calls us to practice the Christian life, which moves us not from inexperience to eloquence and intellectual prowess, but from unfamiliarity to intimacy and love. And this is the fight. It's the fight that he has for us. And the greatest resources that he has given us for this fight 
empowered by the Holy Spirit alive and at work in us. Is his word where he speaks to us and prayer where we speak to him and he listens. So practice these things. Drill on these things like a musician with her instrument, like an athlete with his fundamentals, like a sculptor with his tools. And here's what I promise. Mastery begets joy and joy is the fruit of of intimacy. Spend time with Jesus every day. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word being living and active. I thank you for the ways that you work through it. Uh, And Lord, if we opened up the microphone here on the floor and asked people to share stories of how you have worked in people's lives here in this room through your word, bringing it to life, bringing it in a, bringing a passage or, or a word from a friend through scripture at a particular point in time, we would never leave. Uh, Lord, there, there would be so many stories to tell. You, your spirit is at work. Your word is living. You are active in and through it. You hear the prayers of your people. You do not turn us away. And so, Father, give us a desire to cultivate that as your people. And I pray this in the name of the one who gives us life, Jesus Christ, amen.